0: to be sharing God's word with you once again, and if you have your Bibles, turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. As we look at a topic that I've been wanting to preach about for a little while now, just uh, hasn't sort of worked itself out until uh, this week, and you'll probably understand why when I... Uh, start the sermon. Now we're reading from verse 19 to verse 28. Actually, now we'll read the first few verses, then jump to 24. So read verse 19 and 20 with me now. And it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails. And put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas uh, with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do thank you for the blessings of your word. This morning I pray that our hearts and our minds would be completely open to it. That your spirit would be given free reign within us to be able to work freely, Lord, that we might be converted into the people you would have us to be. Father, that we would be convicted if there is sin in our lives that we need to repent of. Father, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and that we would see him wholly in front of us, our eyes focused on him as our Lord and our Saviour, the only door, the only path through which a man must go in order to be saved. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for the one who willingly gave himself on that cross for us. One who bears the marks of that sacrifice. Father, we pray as we uh, look into your word now that he would be honoured, that he would be lifted up. And Father, we thank you for all the wonderful things you've done for us. In the name of your precious son, we pray. Amen. As we have already mentioned uh, more than once this morning, this past week has seen us uh, celebrate or remember the lives of, the, of those people who served in war. Uh, specifically from this country. And when we celebrate Anzac Day, uh, Anzac Day refers primarily to the core uh, the that was created between the Australian and New Zealanders who were sent overseas during that time. And it basically revolves around, the, 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 the symbolism of this whole day really revolves around the landing at Gallipoli in 1915. But it now serves much much bigger purpose than that, doesn't it? It's not just about the, the men that went to Gallipoli and fought and, uh, and, and died in that war. Uh, it remembers all Australians who went, who have fought in, uh, in battles, who have either died in conflicts, uh, but also those who came back and also those who were involved in peacekeeping operations. Um, and the discussion we had yesterday with the young adults was an interesting one. And the question was, and I won't go into it today, but it's an interesting topic for Christians and sometimes it divides us. Is it right for Christians to be involved in war? Um, I won't give you the answer to that. But I encourage you to look into it. See what God's word says about it. And there's nothing wrong with uh, discussing these sort of topics. You should never be afraid of discussing things, even if they, they don't seem that you understand them fully. But there were many men that we know and women who left this country to fight overseas for whatever reason... Whether it was to defend this nation, whether it was to fight for our freedoms, whether it was because they they thought it was a good idea at the time. Many were young when they left this country and and, and totally unaware of what they would be facing overseas. But many who went overseas uh, never returned home. They left and they didn't come back. And many who did were permanently changed by their experiences. They came back, very different people than when they left. I recently watched a documentary about some uh, soldiers, American soldiers that are in Afghanistan, or were in Afghanistan, and the, the terrible trials they went through over there. I mean, they're sent by their country there to, to try to be peacekeepers in a sense, and, try, to, and try, to keep, uh, tr- try and keep the peace, but they were going through, from what I saw, terrible um, uh, burdens, especially when they lost their friends you know, when you're fighting in a, a platoon or you're fighting in a particular with a particular group of men um, and you're watching each other's backs and, and then they die. It's a terrible thing. And a lot of the people who have come back have borne not just physical scars on their body because as I watched part of the ceremony, part of the, uh, the parade down, I think it's saying kill the road, is it? You saw, you saw these old diggers and the, and the men who had served in war, some without limbs walking down the, down the road without arms and some being pushed along in door without legs. And I know John had his scars because he was shot uh, in, in uh, Borneo. Many have borne scars that they've had to carry for the rest of their lives. And the scars tell a story, don't they? Scars tell a story. Many of us have got scars, one way or another, either from our stupidity or from uh, or things that we've, uh, we've been through, but scars tell a story. And these men and women that, that served in war, those scars that they bear, the things that they've brought back with them from their battles, tell of those battles. They tell a story about where they've been. Today I want to look at scars. I want to look specifically at how scars or wounds that are born, that are evident on the outside of our bodies, tell a story. And you know who these scars we're going to be looking at? Our Lord's scars. He's got scars, believe it or not. He's got some pretty decent scars too. And that tells a specific story about what happened with him. And as we look at the scars that he, that he still bears today, believe it or not, After all this time, he still has scars. We might understand a little bit better about how to deal with our own scars and maybe be encouraged in our own walk with him. Now let me let me share something with you that's often I've struggled to understand and come to terms with is that when Jesus was resurrected, he was glorified, wasn't he? I mean he was he wasn't glorified at that stage, but he was resurrected and he could he could simply appear and disappear. Where and when he wanted, he could walk through walls, he could do whatever he wanted with the body that he was resurrected with. Now the body that he was resurrected with was fully flesh and bone, we know that. But the interesting thing is that when he was resurrected, he still retained the holes in his hands, the marks in his feet, the hole in his side. Now let me ask you a question. When we are resurrected, do you expect to still retain the same scars you have today? The same infirmities you have today? Because I don't. I expect to be, to be completely whole. Yet the question remains, why did Jesus, when he was resurrected, still have those marks? Was his resurrection not complete? Was, it, was there something wrong with, that, with, with what happened? Why, why wasn't he made fully whole? And I'm hoping that we can answer that today. Because in the end, it seems to me, and I'll give you the answer straight up front, he chose to keep them. He chose to keep those scars. And the question I'd like to, for us to understand today or to realise is why? Why did he choose to keep those scars when he could have very easily been made whole? He didn't have to have holes in his hands. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to have that hole in his side where he said to Philip, here, come and touch, here. He didn't have to have holes in his feet still, yet he chose. And I'd like for us to look at why he chose to keep those scars and keep those wounds. And I think that if we look at why he chose, it begins with the fact that scars tell a story. As I've said, when you when people have scars in their lives, people say, Oh, where'd you get that scar from? Have you noticed that? You might have a scar here or whatever, and if, if it's visible, people will say, Oh, where did you, what happened there? And you can tell a story about it. Oh, you know, I got that when I was, you know, doing something stupid on a motorbike or, you know, whatever. But scars tell a story. Turn with me to Genesis chapter four, verse chapter four, verse nine. Cain had just killed his brother. He'd murdered his brother in cold blood. And the Bible says that his blood was spilt on the earth. And look what it says here. And it says that the Lord went and spoke to Cain and said, uh, Lord said unto Cain in verse 9, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. You see, the blood that was spilled spoke a story. It spoke to God, in a sense. I don't know how it spoke to God, because I can't hear blood speaking, but God hears it. And that blood cried out for justice. That blood was crying out to God, and God heard the cry of that blood. It told a story. And in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24 if you want to turn with me there you'll see the story that's told by another blood Hebrews 12:24 Hebrews 12:24 says, "And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel." You see, Abel's blood cried out for justice. Abel's blood was calling out to God for not necessarily revenge, I don't know what what it what it spoke of, but it cried out for justice. And God heard that cry and delivered justice. Yet the Bible says here that the blood of Christ speaketh better things than that of Abel. It speaks of a new covenant. It speaks of a new agreement that God has entered into with man. An agreement based on the grace of God. An agreement based upon the forgiveness that God showed us because of that blood that was spilled at Calvary. It speaks of wonderful things doesn't just speak of justice because justice was, was carried out on that cross. But it speaks of love. It speaks of, of forgiveness and mercy and truth. The wounds of Christ likewise tell a, a wonderful story. As did the blood of Christ. A story that will endure forever. A story about a promise that was kept. A promise that was made a very long time ago. A story about this wonderful new relationship that we can have with God and that man, that wonderful man that, who sits in the middle of that relationship and holds us together. Yes, the wounds of Jesus speak a lot more. They speak of many things. And today I really want to have a look at what they speak of. Let's go, let's, let's go back to where the disciples were in that room. It says they were locked up in that room. And there was a lot of fear that was, uh, that was in that room. They weren't sure what was happening next. Their beloved master had been crucified. He was in a tomb. And they didn't know what was going to happen next. They didn't know if there was going to be a knock at the door. And the Jews were, were, were going to be there and take them away as well and crucify them too. They didn't know. They'd lost the one that they loved so much. And they didn't know what was going to happen next. You see, they they missed the point, didn't they? Because many times Jesus had spoken to them and said to them, The Son of Man has to die. He came for that specific purpose and that he will rise again on the third day. But people being people, men being men, just missed the point a little bit. Their faith was very weak. They couldn't quite understand that Jesus had to suffer, he had to die, and he had to rise again from that cold, dark grave. And that soon the Spirit would come upon them and give them power to be able to preach that wonderful message that he had shared with them. So we find, if we go turn to Luke chapter 24, we find Luke's version of what happened over there, in that room. Because in the middle of their fear in the midst of their uncertainty and their doubt, while they're locked up in this place and try to encourage one another, guess what happens? All of a sudden, Jesus is standing right in the middle of them. Now that would be a scary thing in itself. They hadn't seen him appear and disappear. All of a sudden, he's standing there in the middle, and it says in Luke twenty-four thirty-six, And as they spake... Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, "Peace be unto you." And they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed they had seen a spirit, and he said unto them, "Why are you troubled? And why do your thoughts arise? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have and when he had thus spoken he showed them his hands and his feet and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered he said unto them have ye any have ye here any meat you got any food here that would be a comforting thing wouldn't it I mean when he first appeared they they thought they were seeing a ghost and as most people uh, do who think they see ghosts they, they look to run the other way and he's saying peace it's okay it's only me Here, touch, have a look. Look at these holes. Look here. And then at the end he goes, give me some food. I'll show you that I'm not a ghost because a ghost can't eat. What commenced with fear turned to joy. Now the gospel of um, what we read there, the gospel of John tells us they were glad then. They recognised him finally. At the beginning they didn't recognise him, they thought he was a ghost. But then when he showed them his hands and his feet, they said... This is really you. And they began to believe. What started off with fear turned to joy. It wasn't a ghost, it was really him. And as they touched his hands and his feet, I can imagine they would have recognised those hands and those feet. You see, these was the same hands that, that he used to heal the sick, to bless the children. When he touched men's eyes, they would open up. These were the same hands that would have held theirs, that would have encouraged them. These were the same hands that bore that cross and carried it it all the way up to Calvary. These were the same hands they saw pierced with nails. These were the same feet that walked all over Israel with them. The same feet that carried that precious gospel to the lost sheep of Israel. These were the same feet that walked that path to Calvary that were also pierced with nails, and this is the same side that was pierced with that spear, where blood and water flowed out. You know, something as I thought about, as I thought about that that side of his being pierced with that, um, with that spear. He was already dead. Did you know that? That that wound that he that he got from the side it wasn't made at the same time as the hands and feet. You see, it was made later. He was already dead. The job had already been done. He'd already paid for the sins of the world. But then it was, then the spear was thrust into his side and blood and water came out. And I just can't help but, but compare that to Adam and how God made Adam fall into a deep sleep. And then after Adam was in sleep, God took a rib out and from that rib he made Eve And I can't help but but compare the fact that when Jesus died, the blood and water which flowed gave birth to us. Gave birth to his church. Because the faith that we have in that blood now brings a person back into relationship with God and makes them the bride of Christ. That's a much better story than Adam's story, I I must admit. No, this wasn't a ghost they were seeing. They were seeing real flesh and bone. It was standing in the middle of them. And you know something? That same flesh and bone that they had in front of them, that they were holding and they were handling, and who was eating together with them, you know that same flesh and bone is sitting on a throne in heaven. That same flesh and bone is sitting on a throne in heaven. Now, some people imagine that no flesh can exist in heaven. I know some flesh that exists in heaven, and it's his. You think he's a spirit up there? No, he's a man. He's fully man in heaven. There was no ghost that they were seeing. And Thomas, when he made that proclamation and said, "You know, unless I, I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I will not believe, showed his doubt. And we call him Doubting Thomas sometimes. But when he saw the evidence, he was fully convinced about who Jesus was. For so him to cry out, my Lord and my God, he knew what he was saying in the midst of them. The wounds of Christ tell of some wonderful things. The wounds of Christ are an eternal testimony of the sacrifice that He made on that cross. That's the bigger story. The wounds are like the seal and a deed. You know the, the the rubber stamp you get on a on a contract, or the signature at the bottom of a uh, of a new uh, of a new agreement. Same thing. Those wounds are that signature. The proof that the job was done. Those wounds are still present today and testify of the sufficiency of what he did on that cross. You see, if what he did on that cross wasn't enough to pay for our sins, he wouldn't have risen again from the grave. He'd be dead still. But the fact that he rose from the grave tells us very clearly that God was happy with that sacrifice, God was content. And those wounds now testify of that. Those wounds are an eternal symbol that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The one who bears those wounds, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They tell us a story. They tell us exactly who it is that saved us. We're continually reminded about our Saviour's love for us. And the fact that the contract has been sealed. It's been delivered. And if we are in that contract, if we are in that new agreement, then those, those wounds testify of the validity of that. But they don't just tell a story to us. They tell a story in heaven. You see. Those wounds which were made here on earth they exist in heaven. They say the only man-made thing in heaven its only one thing that's Man made. It's the wounds of Jesus in, on Jesus' body. Nothing else that was made here with human hands exists in heaven except for those very things. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. It says in Revelation 5.6 And I I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. You see, Revelation, even in the end the lamb bears the marks as if it was slain and he sits on the throne in heaven. Those wounds that he has, that he's he's kept with him from this earth and brought with him to heaven, tell a story to the angels in heaven. You see, as you can imagine, or maybe we can imagine, in heaven, when, when the angels, from all that time they'd spent worshipping the Son of God, sitting on the throne, saw him stand at one particular point and come down to the earth, they would have thought to themselves, what's going on here? He's, he's getting up off his throne, and the next minute he's actually, he's actually being born in a stable in Bethlehem. The Bible says that they were curious about that, and they're curious about what is happening here. Because the Bible says that we are, in Ephesians, it tells us, it tells us that, that we are telling a story to the angels to help them understand what the grace of God is. See, they don't understand. They haven't been in our position The angels in heaven haven't fallen and then have been redeemed. But because of what's happening to us and because of what God's done, they are witnessing an incredible story of love. They understand about grace. They understand about mercy through what has happened to us. So you can imagine the curiosity and the interest of the angels when they saw the Son of God being born in a a, a little stable, in the middle of some animals, and they, as they watched him grow into a, a boy, into a teenager, into a, a young man, and then into a man, they would have been watching with, with absolute wonder as the God they worshiped, who was almighty, sitting in heaven, emptied himself, and said, I'm gonna become one of them. So can you imagine even now, that when he returned to heaven, the one that that was the the all-powerful son of god he still is all-powerful returned to heaven as a man so he kept his humanity and yet with all the scars that bore that tell a story it tells them a story about what he did while was, while he was on the earth it's a witness to them as well you see it would be difficult for the angels, I, I imagine, to understand what happened over here. Because there's no death in heaven. Angels don't die. Not as far as I know. I've never heard in scripture anywhere where an angels actually died. In heaven, there is no suffering in heaven. Angels don't bleed in heaven. There's no hospitals in heaven, as far as, I, as, far as I've heard anywhere. They don't go through the same things that we go through. But yet as they look up at Jesus sitting on his throne and they see a man there and they see the holes in his hands and his feet. What do they think? As they see those wounds, the wounds tell them the story of redemption. A story of love and forgiveness. And they become our eternal witnesses of the finished work of Jesus on that cross. And similarly, those wounds tell of the triumph that Jesus had over Satan. You see, men who have fought overseas and, and fought battles and have won and returned and, and bear those scars. Well, you know something? The scars that Jesus bears tell the story of his, his victory in that battle. When he died on that cross, he won that battle. You see, when he did that, he proved himself perfectly faithful to the end. He lived the only perfect life humanity has ever known. There is no one else who can compare to him. He never sinned, not even once. He had a perfect relationship with his father from beginning right to the end. Those, Those wounds tell that story. They say that he was triumphant over Satan. As much as Satan would have tried to tempt him and bring him down during his life, and you can imagine, some of us think to ourselves, "Oh, you know, Satan is always attacking me and trying to get me to sin and pull me back into the world." Do you? Can you even imagine how much effort Satan would have put into trying to get our Lord to sin? Because if he had done that, the whole plan of God would have been down the drain. You and I wouldn't be sitting here today, we'd be eternally lost. Yet Jesus won that battle. For 33 years, Jesus did not fail once. He won every battle that he, that, he, um, that he was drawn into. And he won that final battle on the cross for us. Those wounds tell the angels, including Satan and his demons, that the battle was won. there is a story about what those wounds can do and what they are still doing for us. See, the Bible says that he is our mediator now. He is our, he, the Lord is our advocate. So when a child of God comes to the Father and has maybe sinned or, or whatever it is and asks for forgiveness, you know who is your advocate? Advocate is another word for lawyer. You know who is your lawyer? The best lawyer you can imagine. That's Jesus. And you know what evidence he's got? When he comes before his father and he says, Father, look, I know Frank's messed up this week. He's asked for for forgiveness. Um, Let me show you why you should forgive him. There's a passage I read uh, from one of Spurgeon's sermons. And I can't say any better than him, so I'm going to quote him. Okay, Listen Listen to Spurgeon. Another reason why Jesus wears his wounds is that when he intercedes he may employ them as powerful advocates. When he rises up to pray for his people, he needs not speak a word. He lifts his hands before his father's face. He makes bare his sight. And he points to his feet. These are the orators with which he pleads with God. These wounds, oh, he must prevail. Do you not see that Christ without his wounds in heaven might be potent enough, but there would not be that glorious simplicity of intercession, which now you see. He has nothing to do but to show his hands. Him, the Father, heareth always. His blood crieth and is heard. His wounds plead and prevail. You know, when I see people with scars on their bodies. When I see these, old, these older people and I see the, the wounds that some of them wear, I, I feel my heart breaks for them. But imagine the power of Jesus showing the wounds to his father. On our behalf, we didn't deserve any of it. But yet, it's a glorious picture of the love that he has for us. That even in the midst of our weaknesses, even when we fail, he still has patience for us and he still shows us and says, look, it's done. You know, when a couple get married, they exchange rings, don't they? Normally exchange rings. And those rings become an outward sign to everyone else that there's a love, there's a, 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 a new covenant that's been made and there's a relationship of love now. And the rings are a symbol of that love and that beauty. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 49. I want to share with you something about what God's done for us. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 13. Listen to God in the Old Testament speak to his people Israel. It says, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she, has, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. Yea, they may forget, yet will I n- n- not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God in the Old Testament was saying, I'm ready to mark you on my hands as, an, as, as a permanent sign that I love you and that I will never forget you. And you know what he did? He did that on on the cross. He actually did that for us. So if God says in the Old Testament that that, that I will mark my hands, I I will carve you onto the palms of my hands so that I will never forget you, you know our Lord can never forget his own. He can never forget us. The wounds that he has are constant reminders that he bought us, that he paid for us. It should be a great encouragement to us when we suffer. You know, when we go through our trials, we go through our sufferings and our pain and anguish and sometimes we don't understand. it. Can anyone Part of the problem with pain that we have and suffering we have is that we feel no one understands us. Isn't that true? Before no one can, we feel to ourselves, no one really understands what I'm going through. Isn't that what goes through your mind every time you go through hard times? No one really understands. But there is one who fully understands. And it's the one who bears those marks on his hands. Who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us every step of the way. And the scars that he has on his hands, and he's chosen to keep them, remind him constantly of how much he loves us the scars on his hands tell the story of love and how we were once estranged from God and now we have been brought close to him they tell you, they should remind you how much he loves you and I so when you go through difficult times in your life remember that he bears those scars and he chose to keep them he didn't have to and he chose to remember he will never forget you and sometimes we, we think to ourselves when we go through hard times and we struggle we may pour out ourselves for people and then we don't get anything in return or sometimes even better a kick kicking the teeth and we think to ourselves it's not worth it, it's not worth the effort to love, it's not worth the the sacrifice that it takes to give to people or to give to others who never show appreciation. (coughs) Who only ever (coughs) stab you in the back. You might think that of other Christians. But I tell you something. It is worth it to love. It is. When you think, when you get to a point in your life when you think it's not worth loving because you can't endure the pain Remember what he endured for you and I. Remember that the Bible says that we were, we were still his enemies. God sent his son. When we hated him, you think about what Jesus endured when he went to that cross. Not just the physical pain, not just the torment that went along with it. The whippings and the beatings and the, and the spitting. And they pulled out his beard and they did all these terrible things to him. But imagine even the, the men that he walked this earth with for three years who were his best friends. Scattered. At the time of his greatest need, they disappeared. They ran. With his most trusted one, betraying him. Three times, denying him. Think of that, what he went through. Think of the fact that when he was on that cross and he was bearing all of our sins, that his own father in heaven even turned his face away. Do you need... Much more of an example to push on with this thing that God wants us to do called love. Think about what he went through. Think of the suffering that he endured. Think that he continued to do it until he was dead. But in the end, that love that he showed, look what it's done. Look at where we are now. Because of that love that endured to the end. So if the devil ever has you thinking in your mind, it's not worth it that loving Christ is not worth it that loving my, my brother is not worth it pull back tell him what he, where he should go because we've been called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ not the footsteps of this world that think that love is some sort of an emotion that when you feel good you can love someone and then when you don't feel any good you can just leave and depart, that is not love Love endures, even through difficult times. Do you have scars? Do you have emotional scars that you bear with people that have let you down, that have betrayed you? Then you're in very good company, the best company you can imagine, because he was let down a lot. In fact, at one stage, he had no no place to rest his head. The son of God, and he did it all for you. And remember how faithful you've been throughout your whole life to him. How perfect have you been with your walk with Jesus? How many times have you let him down and denied him with the things that you you and I have done? Yet he persists. He loves us continually. We need to follow him. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 8. It says there, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. You know, will come a day when Jesus will return to this earth to defend Israel against the armies that have been gathered around her to destroy her completely. And God will once again reclaim his throne here on earth. And at that time, the Bible says that he will show himself and the people of Israel, the house of David, will look at him and see the scars and the the holes in his hands. And they will mourn and weep. Because they would have realised that they missed the opportunity when he came. But God will show them mercy. God will, the Bible says, give them grace and supplications. And God will defend them against the evil one. It will be a time of great bitterness and of, of, of conflict in this world. But those wounds, once again, will be brought back to this earth and will be a sign that Jesus is back to claim his throne. The lamb that is sitting on the throne now will return as a lion to do what he has promised that he will do. There is one thing from that passage that I I read this morning in, in John chapter 20 that should make us be glad. In John 20, verse 20, it says, When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad when he showed them. First they were fearful, then they were glad. When Thomas saw those, those wounds, he said, My Lord and my God, one day you and I will see Jesus face to face. We'll see him literally face to face. No more imagining what he's like. No more um, uh, praying just necessarily in the spirit. But we'll see him and speak to him face to face as I'm speaking with you now. We will see him as he is. And in that day, we'll see the wounds that he carries for us even now. And you know something? I'll be glad. I'll be glad. Cuz in that day I'll recognize him by those scars. See, I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what he looks like. Could look like a bit like Sam or could look a bit like Eddie. I don't know what he looks like exactly, but in that day when I see him face to face, the Bible says I'm going to know him by those scars and I'll be glad. Just like his disciples were. And when I see those scars, I'll no longer have to fight. I can rest. I no longer have to wrestle with this world and with my flesh. But I'll be with him. In that day, the wounds which are spoken to the angels for all these years will speak to me about his faithfulness to me. They'll remind me that through all these years of my life, that he's been up there being my advocate. And that he's been faithful to me. Not that I've been necessarily faithful to him, but he's been faithful to me all throughout my life. Those wounds will speak to me and I'll be glad. The scars that he bore carried me through all these years. I'll recognise him for who he is. Have you trusted in those scars yet? You see, those scars tell a wonderful story. How can you resist them? How can you resist someone who shows you holes in his hands and his feet? How can you say no to someone like that? Tell me how. Because if someone presented himself today and showed me that he suffered so much just for me, Could I deny him? I couldn't. But yet we deny him. We do. We deny him with the things that we say and the things that we do in our lives. And some of us have not even come to the first place of saying, yes, I believe what you've done for me. I trust you. How can you not trust someone who shows you the evidence of how much he loves you? When Jesus holds out those hands to you and says, come with me, how can you say no? Is there any way you can close your eyes to those marks and pretend they don't exist? If you've taken the, hand, the wounded hand of Jesus, are you still holding on? He still waits patiently for you if, he ha- if you haven't. He's still willing to bear with you with every step you take. You know something? Jesus didn't stop carrying that cross when he fell on it and they nailed him to it. He still carries us now with those hands. Those marks tell of all the guilt and the shame that he carried for me. So I don't have to carry them today. Do you have scars? Look at his. Do you have scars you're ashamed of? Do you have marks within you that you're ashamed of? He can take those away too. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. We'll close up with this passage. 53 verse 1. Follow with me. This passage was written 700 years before Jesus went to that cross. And it says, Who hath believed their report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty, that we should desire him. He was despised. And rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken. Smitten of God and afflicted. But... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what he did for you and I, and that's what those wounds tell the story about. What he did for us, we can never even understand. And we'll spend the rest of eternity thanking him for for what he's done. And we'll see those wounds for all of eternity before us. A constant reminder of how much he loved us and still loves us. And let me ask you this morning, why are you afraid to love him fully? Why is your heart torn between this world... And what it has to offer you, which is death and nothing. And him, who has everything to offer you. And who has shown you more love that you can even understand. Doesn't matter how much we contemplate, we could meet here every day. And we could never fully understand how much he's done for us. Why are you torn between those two? Are you afraid of being hurt by him? Yes, you may have been hurt by other people. But let me tell you, if someone's shown that much love to you, why do you not trust him today? Do you think he'll hurt you? Do you think he doesn't want the best for you? Because he does. How can you fear the one who showed you love so completely and bears the marks to prove it today? Let me tell you a story. A fireman once rescued a little boy from a birding birding cottage. The cottage that he was living in with the lady that he was... uh, who was looking after him was on fire and to to rescue this little boy the fireman had to climb with bare hands up a a pipe and grab the pipe and as as he did that the pipe was hot and his hands were badly scarred by the time he got to the boy he saved the boy but was not able to save the woman who looked after him and after the, everything died down and the boy was saved and, the, um, and they went their way, the question arose as to who would take care of the boy. And certain people came forward. A wealthy couple came forward and said, we can look after the boy. You know, we've got a, a good income and we've got you know, a room we can give him. We'll give him a good education and, a, and, and everything that he needs. Don't have any children of our own. Other people came forward as well, offering to adopt the child into their home. But you know who else came along? The fireman. The fireman came along to adopt the child. And they said, well, why, why should you be allowed to adopt this child? And he said, this is why. Because I saved him. It's a bit hard to argue with that, isn't it? So they gave the boy to the, the fireman to look after. But there was an argument that took place, you see, because the fireman wasn't saved. He, was, he didn't believe. But in the end, they gave, they gave the child to the fireman. And he, and he looked after the boy and was a good father to him. And he loved him as his own child. And one day he took this child to an art gallery and there was a painting of Jesus on the cross. And the the child looked at his father and said, who's that? Didn't know. He said, "What, what, what is that? And the father tried to bring the child away, bring the boy away, so he didn't have to answer the question, but the child persisted. What is that? Why is he like that? Why is that man being hung like that? As much as he could, the man couldn't keep the boy quiet. Finally, the man said, that's a picture of Jesus. And they put him on the cross for our sins. And he realised at that point that the claim that he had on that boy was much stronger or was less strong than the claim that Jesus had on him you see when Jesus holds his, his hands out and says this is what I've done understand that he has a claim on you and he wants to make you one of his children he wants you in his family there is no one who has a greater claim on you today than him much more than the firemen who, who, who climbed a, uh, a hot pipe to save a young boy's life. Jesus saved our lives. So today, as you think about the wounds of our Saviour, don't refuse him. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus today, come to him. Take him by those nail-scarred hands. And let him show you exactly how much he loves you. If you do love Jesus and you have put your faith in him, continue to walk with him. Don't deny him in your life. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you once again for your precious word and for the wonderful sacrifice that was made for us at Calvary. Father, give us understanding. Father, I pray that your spirit would be touching our hearts even now. And if there are any here who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would bow the knee to our Lord and our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself on that cross and bears the marks to prove it. Father, we thank you for the love that you showed us. Father, we will never stop thanking you for what you've done. But Father, I pray that we would be good children, Father, I pray that we would bring good honour to your name in the lives that we live. That's the least we can do. Father, that we would be obedient in all things and that we would consider what was done for us each and every day of our lives. Lord, if there is any here who has not trusted you yet, if there is any here who has not called upon the name of Jesus to save them, Father, I pray that they would do so before they leave today. I pray that you would impress upon their heart the need and the urgency for that. Help them to understand how much they are loved. Father, I pray for each and every one of us who have called upon his name that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. That we would be as Christ in this world. That people would see him in us. And as we consider the love that was shown to us, Lord, I pray that that love would flow out of our hearts into other people around us, that they might experience that truth and that love. We thank you once again for this fellowship, for this church, for this time. We ask that you would bless us, but more importantly, that you would be blessed with the things that we do and say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.